Hello and welcome. Brett Carlson on the mic. Three, two, one, Snickers in my mouth. Hello and welcome. I guess I could have waited just a moment for you to actually finish your bite. <laughs> no, this is a fitting intro of me drinking energy drinks and uh, eating candy bars. My other podcast, we do a, a chapter by chapter deep dive into the Hardy Boys books. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, my co-host always puts a mint in his mouth as soon as we get started. And it's just obnoxious <laughs> audio, but it's become somewhat of a bit, which I, I just loathe. Yeah, but now you got like have to love it because it's just uh, part of the reality of the situation. Yeah, because our six listeners love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you and I met at NAB briefly, like maybe five yep. minutes on the exhibition floor last year. And that was the extent of our actual communication then we've just been sort of connected voyeuristically watching each other uh on on social media for the past year or so Is that yeah about right? i think that's yeah that's about five minutes longer than i've known most people in real life so uh <laughs> you know i think in 2020 five minutes is a pretty good run yeah um but yeah i think it's it's been nab since nab 2019 we met um through Simon, I think, but uh, I think yeah. just kind of general bumping into everyone. How do you know Simon? Kinda, uh, I actually met Simon that weekend too. Yeah. So uh, my buddy Zach knew Simon, and um, Zach Trinka. He, yeah. So Zach Trinka knew Simon from somewhere online, uh, some kind of user group or something, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, uh, Simon's gonna give a talk. We should go check it out." I think, and I think we either met him at his talk or. Oh he yeah, he was him. he was talking at the Narbox booth about yeah. traveling, yeah, making films exactly. abroad. Yeah, so I think we went and saw him talk, and I think we all linked up there, or we linked up be- shortly before that, and then we all then relinked up at the at his little. So we've met each other which was twice. Pretty cool. Yeah, twice. So I think like twice within a two-hour span. That's, yeah. Again, again, beyond valid. Repeat in performance. <laughs> yeah, how many? Exactly. How many times have you been to NAB? Uh, that was my first and only time, actually. Um, I, I I wanted to go a few years before, but I never really went. Um, looking like I'll go again this year. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask, but it was is my... it on the, in the cards for you? I think so. I think it is. Um, it's it's uh, It wasn't too expensive, honestly, to go. I mean, the hotels were a little bit much, uh, but other than that, it was it was pretty it was pretty painless. So I think um, it it makes it pretty easy to go again um, what did, at least what did in my you, eyes what did you get out of it man i don't know uh i mean i, I think nab was kind of hyped up maybe a little more than i uh than i'd care to admit uh i think like going to the show floor sorry i'm gonna like drop these my arms are like i don't know what to do with my hands right now <laughs> uh so i got these like got my arm rests in my chair way high um i think nab like I mean, obviously, it's a gear show, so it's kind of hard to say, like, oh, like, you're going to get this, that, or the other thing out of it. And what was kind of not, I mean, disappointing is probably the right word, but it was like, it's a ton of gear, and it was a ton of gear that you expected to see that if you're in any way competent, you've probably, like, read enough about that, like, you know what it is. And so it was kind of hard for me to find the value in a lot of the trade show floor, but I think, like, meeting some people and kind of crossing paths with some people was not only interesting but actually pretty useful um so that was that was pretty cool for me and i th- I think this year last year we did like two nights i think so i think we were there like two days of show 
something we got in before day one and then like left after day two or the morning of day three i can't remember excuse me um but i think if i did it again i think i would kind of try to be there for the whole time and maybe take that middle day off and go like do something else but be back for like some of the networking events and then um because at night there were some networking events here and there and i was thinking like networking maybe that would make more with sense. air quotes yeah exactly it's mainly just like parties drinking yeah. or something yeah um which i don't drink so like i just i didn't take advantage of the free booze or cigars at the one so that was kind of felt like a missed opportunity but yeah they still have free like root beer and stuff so i still i still sunk a win in my book um yeah, yeah I'm, no, I'm i not, think, I think I'm, like i'm not a huge drinker um and so it was the same sort of thing but also last year right before i left i got like this red flag from a client of like hey this project that we told you we needed in two months we need it now um <laughs> and so i ended up taking I, I i don't own a laptop and i had to go buy a laptop just to take it to <laughs> nab and i was editing between sessions i was editing at lunch I, like i was just working the whole time and so it was kind of unfortunate where i felt like i i love vegas i love the energy of it and although like i said i'm not a big drinker uh, I'm, I, I don't have the money to be a big gambler. I just like the energy of it, but I spent so much time just sitting in my hotel room editing last year that it was kind of kind of a disappointment. Um, I feel like I briefly remember this. And uh, I, th I, think, I think the sessions and some other things would definitely add some value to that conference for me. I think, I'd, I, I, think I'd, I'd, I had no expectations. And I got a free pass from a friend who was like, hey, you know, or, you know, a company sent out emails and like, hey, you know, get free to the exhibitor floor, which is really all you need if you just want to go and like rub elbows. And it's like a good way to link up with people you know on Instagram and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think I think this year will probably be even more fun than it was last year. Um, if I do go, which like I said, I plan to. Um, but like, yeah, it was kind of it was a little bit of a weird vibe. And I think by like, we, and the other thing is it's it's so large. Like no one explained to me how large it is. It could massive. be like it is. And and if you're listening to this, you're like, oh yeah, it's really big. It's like two basketball courts. It's like no, like it is bigger than the town I grew up in and lived <laughs> in until last year. And I'm like, not kidding. Like we spent two full days, eight hour days, and we only made it through one in a little bit of a second room. And there's like three or four rooms. Like yeah. one room we walked in and it was so big, we didn't even want to walk that far. Like we yeah, you walked like, miles uh, through that thing. Yeah, the one, the, yeah, the one with the black magic in it was just like, like it's literally like probably six hundred yards long, and it's like then two hundred yards wide, and it's like that's like five rows of products. Like you're never gonna get through it all. Like I don't care who you are, if you try to make it through, like there's a YouTube video. Try to talk to every booth at NAB. Good luck. Like there's no way you're doing yeah. it. I don't think. So the the. Both years, I did the post-production world education track thing. That's and, smart. And the first year, I did all these uh, business classes, like how to do proposals properly, how to cover yourself legally. Like there, There's all these courses like that. And I got so much out of that. Like that I uncovered a whole lot of things like, oh, God, no, I hadn't been doing that. And turns out I was quite exposed to... A lot of liability um and so like that that first year i came back and i more than tripled my revenue just because i knew how to put stuff together i knew how to have conversations which which as a creative 
we're, we're not always, we don't come from that world of like, well, here's how you sit down and negotiate. Here's how you talk to somebody. Here's how you get like, it's like, oh, people have always told us we're good at pictures. And so that's what we did. And they never really taught us how to negotiate with somebody who has a corner office. And uh, so that, that first year, that's what I did. And then the second year, I did it again and focused more on some actual like editing tutorials and stuff that sped up my workflow, which in a sense sort of increased my capacity because I got a lot faster. Um, but yeah, at the, at the end of it, last year, I just met a lot of people that have sort of expanded my capabilities because now I have people that I can sort of reach out to, which is difficult if you don't know people and you're trying to do something bigger than you've done before. Yeah, no, I I second that. I think uh, you did it the right way. <laughs> you did it the right way. I did it the wrong way. My way was um, way more think, expensive, though. Uh, that is true. I've heard that you pay for that privilege, but no, I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing. Like I, I've been to other workshops because I came from the world of still photography. Like that's what I have my degree in. So I go to still photography workshops, and it's like you pay a flat fee. You walk into whatever you want, and you like that's it. Now, granted, there's like big photo workshops that work in a similar fashion where it's like, come check out the new cameras. And if you want to learn anything, then, you know, you got to pony up. But, um, yeah, I did not do that. And like, yeah, on like the last day, halfway through the day, we found out that Blackmagic had free editing tutorials. And I don't know how to use Blackmagic or DaVinci Resolve. I'm sorry. Blackmagic DaVinci Resolve. Yeah. And like, I understand it, but I've never like sat down and like, I'm always like frustrated enough by it that I don't learn it all all the way and i'm like continually like oh i should do that but it's always like you know it's like the zero to 60 is the hard part the 60 to 200 i'd be fine with and so they had these like <clears throat> literally <coughs> they had these literally like one hour like hey come learn davinci resolve with workstations and everything and i yeah. was like mother oh like how did i miss this and so uh yeah i didn't know like i didn't know any of this stuff and then but the 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 counterpoint though is that i did meet one person one of the networking events that's like i've been taking the educational things and i literally haven't left a room for three days because i've just been they're on some kind of educational course for the three days and they're like i have seen like one booth and i was like okay that's a little bit probably too much in the other direction but at the same time like that's probably way more valuable. Like that dude's gonna go back to his job or whatever, and like know a ton of new skills. He was like a full time employee at some company, so they like paid him to go yeah. learn some new software. Yeah, um, he has so, that obligation. Yeah, yeah that, that, that obligation of a free trip to Vegas and getting paid to learn things. Which, yeah, uh, you know, is the opposite Poor when guy. you freelance. It's I got the I got the privilege of paying for a flight and hotel and food and and trying to get as much free days. stuff as you can. Give me that. I, I like literally have, uh, I, I know, I know people don't see the video, but like I literally have my free Cinema EOS hat nice. that Adorama gave me. So I think that was, I think that was like the only thing I kept. Um, oh, oh, and I have a, a Atlas Orion sticker on my desk. Nice. Haven't put on anything. But yes, yes. Swag did, was the key goal of the weekend. Did you meet or do you know Chris Morrison from Robo Ariel in Chicago? Uh, I don't think so. Dude with a mohawk. Um, but Sure, we crossed paths. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure no, you saw I, him at some point. He's yeah. hard to miss. But he made it a goal to gather as much free stuff. And uh, I ran into him on Thursday as he was making the final rounds. Uh, that's like the half day on the exhibit floor and everyone's just giving like stacks of koozies and like, you know, whatever awful stuff. And he just has like just bags 
of junk with him. And I'm like, I don't get it. I like that. You're just yeah. going to take that home and do what with it? But yeah, it you're going to make a koozie wall. Yeah, yeah like, not I, I've got an F and V koozie wall and <laughs> a, a Canon pen dispenser. <laughs> um, well, I want to step back and talk a little bit. I mean, you said you went to, uh, you have your degree in photography, but take me before that. Like, when did you start to enjoy photography, and then how has your actual profession evolved over the past how many years? Oh, man. Yeah. So I started doing photography, so to speak, when I was pretty young. Um, in middle school, uh, we had a photography class and it was like a technology class. Uh, so, you know, similar classes would have been like wood shop or... How, how uh, old are you, by you the know, way? Uh, right now, 33. Okay. Uh, so at the time, I was I don't know, whatever age you are in seventh grade or whatever it was. Uh, so I was like, I don't know, somewhere between 9 and 20. I don't know how old you are in various <laughs> grades. I think you're around uh, but, 13 in seventh grade. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so I was, uh, it was like a technology class. So I think, you know, the other similar alternatives would have been like CAD and stuff like that. Um, so I took that class and really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, basically it was like black and white photography. And it was more about like developing the film and, you know, the responsibility of bringing back the cameras. It was, you know, it was kid stuff. And then uh, took that a few more times in high school. And that was about the extent of all you could do in high school at the time. And it's not that other kids probably couldn't have done more, but I was in a really small town. And, uh, you know, our art program was, you know, adequate, but like it wasn't like I've heard of kids like going to schools where it's like, yeah, I took photography from like eighth grade to 12th grade. And we had, you know, cinema cameras. And it's like, what? Like that yeah. is real? And like, like, yeah, I went to school with kids like that. And I was like, okay, that's wild. So, um, so I took it then, and as I finished high school, it was like, you know, parents said, art isn't a real career, so uh, you shouldn't do that, so you need to go to school for engineering, like your grandpa and your dad, and I was really good at math and science, so like, it did make sense, um, and so I was like an AP calculus and stuff like that, like I was like on the track to do that. I went to college at uh, Penn State for two years, and effectively flunked out, um, I like got really bad grades, but I did transfer into art and did some like just elective art classes like all they'd let me into and um because you know you kind of like have to be on the perfect timing to get into everything yeah and uh ended up transferring out and uh, uh what would have been my third year of school uh went to university at albany up in albany new york and we had um a professor there that was like uh, i went for photography like i was like if i'm transferring I'm going for photography. And uh, my dad had given me a still camera for like my birthday that year at the end of my second year of school, which was really weird because it's like, you're the one who told me not to do this. Then you go get me a camera. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Don't do so this. But I, like, what what camera yeah, was yeah. it, by the way? Oh, it was a Nikon D50. That's not uh, bad. Which is like a six megapixel DSLR. Yeah. Uh, I think it was it was the first digital camera I had ever owned. And it was, I think, maybe the first camera I ever owned because I'd never owned the other cameras because it was always like the school's camera. Um, and I famously remember in high school dropping uh, the camera off. I, l I let go of the back of the tripod and the camera, of course, just flipped and smashed. Yeah. It's like little Pentax 50 millimeter lens. So I think it was like $12 for a new one. My friend bought it on eBay and like only one friend knew how to work eBay in the whole high school. So he was like, 
Yeah, Pentax, 50 millimeters. We so I had to like this. go buy a new one. Yeah, we did it. We we hacked the uh, the universe and bought a new lens. But so I got that camera. I was like 19 and um, went to school. I learned a lot about lighting and like basically he was an old advertising photographer. So we did. I shot a lot of like uh, film and. Um, personally and then we did a lot of like lighting and stuff like that in school and it was like it was very like state school art classes like it wasn't really all that focused there's a lot of kids who were just there to be there a lot of kids are taking it as an elective um and i hated albany so i left bounced around for like two and a half years basically working full-time uh, i worked for best buy and i sold cameras and then i ended up doing it for them so i was like uh setting up networks, uh, virus removal, all kinds of stuff. You know, I drove around. I literally drove around in a little Volkswagen. Nice. Uh, Beetle. Uh, yeah, so I did is that. that the, is and that then, the Geek Squad? Yeah, so I ended my uh, Best Buy career working for Geek Squad. So uh, it was pretty pretty good. I actually made pretty good money. I was making like $16, $17 an hour. This was in like 2007 or eight. So I was making like 35 grand That's a year. Yeah, and it had benefits and a phone and like a car, and uh, so then I uh, got laid off um, because the economy crashed. And I, but simultaneously, like literally in the same week, this is actually pretty wild. I don't know how deep you want to delve, but so I was going through like a lot of stuff. Parents started their divorce. Uh, I was going through a breakup. Got kicked out of the house I was living in uh, by the ex-girlfriend to then go live on my friend's couch. So I'm living on my friend's couch. They're charging me rent to live on the couch. Uh, so I had my company car and my car parked in the front lawn. <laughs> so Ooh. you like drove by this house and there's like a Geek Squad car parked in the front lawn. Um, I was commuting an hour and a half to work every day because I lived in one city and worked in the other. Yeah. And uh, so I'm doing all of this. And then my boss calls me in and he's like, hey, you know how you're going through a lot? And you took that medical leave of absence. Well, the paperwork was filed wrong. So you're fired. And I'm like, what? So I get fired. Which Oof. a year and a half, yeah. So later they they ruled that it was not right, and I was actually like they they were laying me off, but they just found a loophole to like fire me through, so they wouldn't have to pay me unemployment. Um, so I am rehirable by Best Buy if they're looking for a new uh, Geek Squad employee. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so I get fired. I get all. The, I'm like living on my friend's couch, and I applied to RIT for the fourth time, and RIT denied me again. So I go to pick up my portfolio and the professor's like, hey, we'll see you in the fall, right? It's like June at this time. And I'm like, uh, actually, no. I said, I got denied again. And he's like, haven't you applied like four times in the last two years? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay, well, give me the weekend to like figure out what's going on. And I was like, okay, well, I'm moving home. Like, I don't know what to do, but I don't have a job and I can't pay rent to live on a couch. So I'm going to move home and I'm probably going to like do something else i don't know like this isn't meant to be like basically i gave up yeah so i move home like that weekend and he calls me like the next i remember being in my parents kitchen and uh i remember he called me he's like hey uh so how do you feel about coming to class this fall at rit and i was like well yeah i'd love to but i mean i didn't get accepted and he was just like yeah but what if i just forced you into the system and i was like <laughs> are you kidding and he was like no and i was like holy shit and uh he was like yeah, he goes, and I remember the exact quote. He goes, and he's like the nicest older dude. He goes, "Don't fuck this up, cause it's on my ass." <laughs> and uh, I like died. I was like, "Oh, okay." And then I turned around, and my mom's standing there, and I'm like, uh, "I guess I'm going to RIT this fall." And so she's like, "Great." And then she looks at me, she's like, "Who's gonna pay for it?" And I was like, "Uh." Oh yeah. That. So I did a lot. Of, 
yeah so um anyways i got a bunch of financial aid paperwork had to sell my computer um because i still owed a balance at the last community college i went to for like 700 bucks uh so i had a nice computer that i had bought for college that i then had to sell um, for college for college which was a big kick in the face so someone has a mac pro for like they got for like 900 dollars. uh but anyways uh so i sold my the mac trash pro. can ones Oh no, this was one of the good ones. Oh wow. It was a big tall tower. It sucked. Um I bought it with like I think I got a discount on it at work or something. Um so I sold that and I bought a broken laptop on Craigslist and uh paid off my debt and uh like a like a few hundred dollars and uh went off to RIT. And then I did um when I went there I was supposed to be fine art and then I transferred into the photojournalism program through a, another series of misadventures. <laughs> um, but I have a BFA in professional photographic illustration slash photojournalism. Um, but in school I did film film school classes, I did a lot of photography obviously, um, and it was actually really good because I got three years of just photography. They were able to BS my transcripts and pull all those weird classes I took trying to get my grades up for the last three years, four years into the system and put them all in as gen general education credits. So when I was at RIT, I literally only did photography. And that school is like the best photography school in the world, yeah. um, in my opinion. And so I was like very blessed. Um, and I started freelancing in college and uh, did an internship at a paper, had a little part-time job, but basically was freelancing from college on. Um, and have you that ever was like read 2011? Have you ever read Seth Godin's book, The Dip? No, it's a book about entrepreneurship and like is essentially the, like the idea of a dip or a valley. Imagine that on a you know a line graph, and yeah. saying like there is a difficult part. There is a time when it gets really really tough. And if you can make it through the dip, then it comes back up in a big way. But it doesn't always make sense to fight through that dip. Um, and so as, as moments ago in your story, you were saying, like, you know, it just sounds like it wasn't meant to be. Like photography, everything was stacked against you. But you endured just, just one extra weekend. And, uh, and then it came back yeah. in, in quite a big way. That's pretty slick. Uh, yeah, I think – yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think what's happened – more recent in my career is that I'll meet people whether they're younger or similar age and I think they all kind of assume that everyone took the same trip to get there so if you meet someone who's like self-made and like taught themselves online then I think you meet them and then they're like kind of surprised that you went to college or you'll meet someone and they assume you went to college and you didn't you know or whatever and like as recently as like this past summer I met a younger photographer and they were like they saw they met me at a sporting event and they were like running cards for us like doing kind of like a pa kind of role and a uh, nice guy i mean we know each other pretty well now but um i think he, like, he worked for us two days and i think the first day he kind of was like oh this is just some sports guy like whatever you know and you know kind of like didn't put me down but i think he just kind of like put me into a box of like this is like a sports guy like what's he gonna know for me and so then he, I think over, and then like later in the day, I mentioned like, oh, I think I'm going to get lunch tomorrow with my friend who's like this hardcore documentary photographer who's like really well respected. And they were like, wait, you know him? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, how do you know him? I'm like, well, because we shoot the same stuff. I said, I just do more sports now, but like we used to both shoot hardcore documentary stuff. I just kind of shifted a little bit, but we met at like this big prestigious portfolio workshop like a few years ago. And he, I think he kind of was like, oh, oh, 
so this dude does know about the thing I want to do. And like the next day he was, I know it was like way more engaged and way more like, oh, oh yeah, you know about this? And like, yeah, I know about this. Do you know what I want to hear? Oh yeah, I know people there. And like, kind of like, I think it was like the first time I ever saw it manifest and it was kind of neat because it was like, I think when, um, I think people kind of assume you kind of all take the same route or wherever you're doing at this moment is what you've always been doing or stuff like that. And it was kind of neat when I tell people my story, they're like, oh, like you, you really were like, down like you were this yeah. is not gonna happen and i'm like oh yeah no this was 100 percent. you weren't handed a camera to and told go for it go go make yeah. a living and enjoy yeah and i think we all feel that way and i think that's probably true but i think some people have it's just different paths not one's easier or hard it's just like different and i think like um for me it was kind of cool to be like you know to have it be that rough right before going to a place as good as rit it was really awesome because i really valued um what i learned there i mean i was like i was keyed in man i was like ready to go and like everything was awesome um and yeah i just i was so happy because it was like every single class i was like no i don't want to go back to working in a retail store like if this doesn't work if you don't listen oh shoot um if you don't listen if you don't do everything right like you're gonna be back working at best buy or you're gonna be and at the time the economy was in the toilet so it was like yeah you know, that, that job's not even there. So, uh, you know, get ready to go work at a factory or get ready to go mow lawns or go do something because, uh, you know, this is it. And so I was, I was pretty driven and I think it paid off. I mean, I'm glad it happened then and not after. I mean, after wasn't fun either, but it was, uh, at least then I had a tool set to work with, but like before it was like, can't get much lower than that. So, um, yeah. So anyways, I've been freelancing since then though. Um, it was, pretty crappy for about six years and now the last two years it's been decent i mean i still think i'm on the come up i always feel like i've always can do better but um at least it's been a little more stable the last two years um and a little more a little more comfortable a little more yeah kind of kind of like you had with going to the workshop like something clicked i don't know what it was um but I don't know. I, I, yeah. I still don't hundred percent know. I have my guesses. Yeah, so. I think you get to a point where you get just a little bit of momentum where, where you get this combination of like some momentum of networking where people are actually talking about you and referring you a little bit, combined with you actually have somewhat of a portfolio that Yeah. You can that that, that adds to your credibility so that when someone gets wind of you, they're like, Oh, oh, let me just check his stuff out and then they take a look and it's like, Okay, this dude's legit. And I think once once you have those things where you could have a great looking portfolio, but if you don't have the connections or anything like that, then I mean, there's there's so much competition for what we do that someone can always find someone a someone can always find someone cheaper than us, mm-hmm. um, and they yeah. can find someone way more expensive. But we get hired. And so this is one of my other questions. I, I feel like oftentimes against my expectations of what it would be like to be doing this professionally i feel like we get hired for our style more than our price and and i was i was shocked by that because i look at myself and you're someone who has your degree in photography like you you have a you you are a practiced professional technical artist um and i i feel like in a lot of ways cliff note i just have a boat anchor of a loan to start with but yeah no i i get what you're saying i'm being funny uh yes but i'm i'm surprised at how often price is less of an issue 
because people see my work and they're like, that's what we want. We want it to look like that. And we know we could find someone cheaper. We know we could use someone more expensive, but we like what you do to tell a story. And that was humbling to me, but I'm still trying to figure out how do I capitalize on that because I feel like a douche saying like, well, if you want the Sean Hotley style, you got to pay for it. Because um, I, I, I mean, I think like most people, I'm just sort of copying a bunch of people and people I like, and that turns into what becomes my own style, I guess. Um, but yeah, I feel like the imposter syndrome isn't going away. And I really thought at some point it would start to go away. And when I'm on the NAB floor and I meet you and Zach and you know all these other people, I'm like, these people are going to find out that I don't know anything, so I better play it cool. Uh, yeah, I feel that every day. If I meet a college student, I'm like, oh, they're going to they're gonna know I'm a liar. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter who you're meeting. Um, I heard a talk a long time ago, and it was uh, Ed uh, Ed Sachi. Uh, anyways, it doesn't really matter who the name is. But I was at a talk a really long time ago, and it was like a top level photographer, and it was like. I mean, it was like deacons, like, or somebody talking, you know, and it was just like, oh, man, like, we were all so stoked, and everyone's like, what do you do when you've made it, and you're just like, everything is awesome, like, what do you do to keep going, and he's like, what do you mean, he goes, I hate myself, I hate my work, and I'm broke all the time, he goes, I'm just broke on a bigger scale, and he, I was just like, oh, it'll never end, Yeah, <laughs> and he's right, he was so right, that's how I feel, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm very blessed to have all the clients I have and I work very hard to keep them and I'm like stoked on everything I do and everybody I get to work with and that's all totally sweet but I still totally have like zero self-confidence and like zero confidence that like this will be there next month like somebody messaged me about buying a camera yesterday and they're like is there anything else you want to sell and I'm like I'll sell everything if you want to pay for it. Like, half joking, but like, <clears throat> if someone came around and was like, I'll buy all your gear at market rates, I'd probably be like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll get out of debt and live on a farm. Like, sweet. Like, you know, but it's, uh, it, I don't think the confidence, at least for me, and if it does, I think you're probably an asshole. Like, if you truly <laughs> think, like, I am great and everything is good, like, I don't know you and I don't want to know you and you're probably a dickhead because, like, I feel like it is just like impossible to have any confidence in this industry because like no matter how high the high is, it's by its nature going to be followed by like one month to four months or six months of not that cool. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? It's like, and that, like right now I'm in the middle of one of those. It's like the winner's always terrible for getting work. And it's just like you, you're like, oh, cool. I'm broke again. Uh, and again, that's a relative term, like I'm paying my bills, but you know, I'm broke again, uh, taxes are coming up, um, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, and I have nothing on the books minus a few like single day things here or there, and it's just like, cool. <laughs> and I think, I think if that goes away for you, you're a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I look I, at, I, yeah. I, I think back to, so my degrees in biology, and a lot of my friends were, were pre-med, and so many of them knew the road ahead of them. They knew they were going to go to med school and they were going to be in debt forever um, until they became a doctor. And they had these visions of like, well, then I'll have a boat. And like, that's when I've made it. And all of them, not all of them, almost all of them 
talked about how awful the journey was going to be and how like it was going to be broken, miserable, and they were going to hate every minute of it. But like they had this like, if I can just get to, to, you know, X, then I'll be happy. And I have a couple friends who are in the finance world who it's the same thing. Like they want to make partner at, you know, whatever agency and, and be a, you know, accounting CFA, you know, whatever these things are. And they're like, but I've got to grind it out and do, you know, 100 hour weeks for, you know, 10 years and it's going to be miserable. And for me, I'm like, yeah, it's not easy, but you got to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy the journey, you're never, you're never actually going to make it to where you think you're going to make it. Like that, that place doesn't exist where you just get a boat and work 20 hours a week and, and that's your life. Like you will always have somewhat of a grind in whatever you do. So you, you have to pick something where you enjoy that grind, the ups and the downs. Uh, and I feel like for me, yeah, on those down months, uh, it can, it can get a little, a little gloomy, but I think it just makes any little business that comes up all the more meaningful or, or exciting because it's like, oh, this is the one thing I'm doing for the next two weeks. Let's make it count, huh? Yeah, I agree with both sides of that logic. <laughs> I think I agree with enjoying the grind, but I don't think we hit a threshold where I get a boat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that part is kind of rough. Uh, I think, but in ways that's good. Like in ways, like. If I was in med school, which I, you know, my grandmother really wanted me to do it so she could get a Porsche. She used to say that every time we visited her. Be an anesthesiologist so I can be a Porsche. I can get a Porsche. Which, sorry, Grandma. Um, <laughs> you might get a Porsche Matchbox car. But um, with them, it's like this very firm threshold. Like anybody in the medical field or anything in, like any of those kind of careers, like you have a very, like an actual tangible threshold of like, if you get this done, you will have made it. Like literally, you will have made it financially and you know, degree wise, and that's something no one can take away. Like it's hard to backslide from that position unless you decide to poison all your patients and you live in Ohio. Um, <laughs> that's a thing that happened last year. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so for us though, that like that threshold isn't really there. Like it's very plausible that you could do a gigantic Nike campaign or some, I don't know, whatever, like the making it would be. And then, um, you know, a year later have no work and it's just like, oh, that guy was cool last year, but now we're done with anamorphic with blue gels. We're on to anamorphic with red gel guy. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, that's that's kind of the nature of the business. Like when you're in, you're in, and when you're out, you're out. So it takes a little bit more planning and I think the grind will never end as much for us. Now, that being said, I could not see changing careers. I mean, like the downest, like the worst day in this career I'm still just like, what would I, what else would I do? You know? And like, that's not just cause I have a degree in it and stuff like that. It's just like, I don't, I don't know. And I think if you, if you have that mindset and that level of heart, like you're probably in the right career path, but I know a lot of people that don't. And I think like you meet a lot of young people and they're like, well, I think I'm going to do this other thing too. And I'll do these two or three jobs and I'll kind of, I'll, I'll put it all together and I'll make ends meet. And it's like, eh, like, sure. Like that is logical. But like, um, I'd rather find I'd rather be broke and find a way to make a hundred bucks with a camera and pay that bill than I would rather, you know, go to a retail job or go to a factory job or whatever. And I know like everybody's situation is different. Um, for me, my answer a few years back was moving home. So I moved home and I lived at home for years, way more years than I'd care to admit. But I ended up living at home and I was basically like I was paying rent at a place and I like was and I like lost my part-time job and I was like okay I'm gonna move home and then I moved back out and I was paying rent and I was like in other towns more than I was in that town and I was like 
what am I doing? Like, why am I, if I'm going to travel for work anyways, why not free up that extra money and be able to, you know, be in better control of my finances, yeah. go on more trips, buy more gear. Um, and it was a big slice of humble pie and it was awful for a lot of reasons. But at the same point, um, it afforded me a lot more freedom to be able to make work. And I was able to like dedicate more time to personal projects. Um, and also like kind of take some jobs that maybe wouldn't have made sense financially, um, or did make sense financially, but we're kind of farther between the two and allow me to just, just keep doing photography full time. Um, which I think was a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no right way and wrong way, but it's just, you got to make hard decisions. And I think a lot of people are kind of, I think a lot of people live on the internet. I mean, self-included. And like, I think you get too caught up that like everyone's winning, like everyone out there's winning except for me. And it's like, no, we're all just putting up this veil antidepressant called Instagram. And in reality, we're all like sitting at home, like in our pajamas, trying to figure out where to get our next paycheck. It's just a matter of like how big that paycheck is. Like, and I think that's the only difference between like a beginner and like a mid-level pro is like, I'm trying to find the next, you know, several thousand to $50,000 job to carry me through the year while someone else is probably working on trying to figure out the next 500 bucks. And I've been in that spot too, you know? Um, but it's, it, that's, that's the levels to it, but we're all doing the same game and it's just like, yeah, I, I, I closed long winded answer to that question. <laughs> no, I, I, I had a studio for, for two years that I loved. It was like six blocks from my house, um, in this little Italian neighborhood that we live in, um, cool little downtown, small town, little field. It's called the Hill in St. Louis. And I loved my little studio. It was perfect. I had dirt cheap rent somehow. Uh, like my, my rent was five fifty a month and that included all of my utilities, um, everything except internet. It was awesome. So you should be running a Bitcoin farm awesome. in there. I know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, like I had space in there to film and I think I filmed in there with clients like during the first two months. And then after that, I just started doing everything on location. Um, and I was traveling a whole bunch, like all around the United States and it got to the point where I'm filming only on location. And so I'd wake up, I'd go to my studio, I'd pack up my gear, I'd go to my shoot, then I'd come back to the studio, unpack my gear and go home. And it's like, I'm, I'm paying to put... Uh, the other thing that happened here is my building got sold and the new landlord doubled my rent essentially and uncoupled. She did things right. Um, what should have been going on? I, I lost my irresponsible deal from my previous landlord. But because of that, like my rent jumped all in to around like 1300 bucks a month um, with utilities and all that sort of stuff. And it was like, it doesn't make sense to pay, you know, what, $12,000 a year for this closet that I'm putting internet and, you know, heating and cooling into, and I'm not here. And I, like, I'm all over the place. And so I, it made financial, it's the same thing of like, man, I'd rather have that you know, 10 plus thousand dollars to do anything else with rather than, than sink it into this room. But with that comes that, that like your humble pie comment hit home where it was like, yeah, now I work from home and that just seems like such a cop. Like it's hard to feel successful when, when I'm sitting in my, my guest room on a computer in the corner, but financially it is, I think by definition, way more successful uh 
like with what I'm able to do, what I'm able to provide. We have a, um, a six month old. And so that education and, you know, clothing and food for, for him, that all came sharply into focus very quickly. When that came around, it's like, yeah, I think I would rather have $10,000 to spend on my kid and my family and potentially vacations and stuff rather than a closet where I can go work. Um, but it, it is just, you see those appearances of like, you know, everyone's got their studio and like, yeah, I want that. That's what, to, that's what it looks like when you're good. And I don't look like that. And that's, that's tough yeah. to reconcile. Yeah. And I think I, I'm on the opposite side of that fence where it's like, I, I feel, I feel all the feelings you have in reverse. Like I desperately want a spot to go work in and like have a spot to like get out of the house and like do those things. But I have the same logic of you is it's like, is it worth, I don't know how much it would be where I'm at now, but like, it, you know, is it worth that money that you could put towards something else, you know, um, whatever that might be. I don't, it doesn't really matter what that is. It's, but yeah, I think like, I think so many people, um, and again, myself included, like basically get hooked on the idea that it's like, you know, this is what success looks like. This is, um, you know, you need this to be the next level. You need, you need a red, you need, you know, the big lenses, you need this, you need that. And it's like, yes, but like what you don't see is probably, I would say above half the people that own things like that or have a studio or have whatever they have probably didn't do it for the right reasons and probably can't honestly afford that gear or afford that space or afford those things. They did it for the wrong reasons. And then you see other people that did it for exactly the right reasons. And those are the people that you probably don't know own those things because they probably, you know, like, or, or do those things. You know what I mean? Those people are the ones that did it for the right reasons. And they're probably the last ones to flaunt it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, it is what it is. But I think like, I think we just get caught up in like what success is and what it looks like and things like that. And um, again, I'm totally guilty of it. You know, like last weekend was the Super Bowl and I'm a sports photographer in addition to a filmmaker and like all these things, you know, I have a spider web of ways I make money. And like going to the Super Bowl is like, obviously the pinnacle of shooting NFL football. And I didn't go. And I was like, bummed <laughs> you know i was like man i really wanted to be there this year i thought this was the year i've been doing it for like five or six years and i didn't get to go again and i know why i didn't get to go it's not like a i know personally it's not like a judgment on what i do it's just like that's how the world works but it's still like you know you're sitting there and you're watching the game and you see oh there's so and so on the sideline there's so and so on the sideline oh there's so and so on the sideline oh there's so and so like i can literally go down the whole entire sideline and name all of my friends and it's just like it cuts you deep, but then you got to remember like, yeah, but like, you know, that's not what matters. And I luckily was able to like do a, some personal, like a personal project or a project for a friend, you know, my friend surprise proposed to his girlfriend. And so I ended up doing that instead. And that was probably more fulfilling, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I had a great weekend. It was very refreshing and like awesome. And, um, you know, so it's like, you, you got to give or take and you got to remember that like, everyone's definition of success is different and like um some days you're going to be the one at the big game and some days you're going to be the one at home on the couch watching it on tv um metaphorically or literally and um that's okay and um you know you just forget that you you know when you're on the other side you forget that other people are on that other side of it like you know what i mean like 
you're the you're the windshield or the bug and some days you're the windshield and some yeah. days you're the bug that day i was the bug and uh that, that's you know i think i think we forget that kind of stuff and social media makes it really easy to uh kind of get into a dark cave and kind of see everyone else's successes yeah it's um, just everyone's best so. foot forward and that's about it yeah, and I think, you know, and I'm not going to go as far to be like, I, I see way too many people on social media who are like, other people's successes should be celebrated. Everybody doing awesome is awesome. And like, just be happy for others and everything will come your way too. And like, that is the biggest load of bullshit ever. <laughs> like, this is the most competitive career on planet Earth. Like, you could just look at basic economics. There's way less work than there is people willing to do it. And, I, you know, I'm... I have YouTube videos. I'm going to start a podcast. I share a lot of information on Instagram. Like I want to help other people out, but and uh, and I love doing that. But if you want to come to my town and ask for my clients, like you are not going to get those emails. You are not going to get those phone. Like we are, we're not going to be friends. Like you know, like but you know, there's a fine line in there, and it's like it, you got to be competitive. Like you got to be ultra competitive because like there's just not. I mean, there's objectively less work than there is people willing to do it let alone people willing to do it at a fair rate so yeah yeah. i feel like with photography that that's absolutely true um and i I feel like with video it's slightly less true just because i feel like in many ways it just takes more gear as where there's a lot of people who can get a you know use dslr or something like that and then suddenly they're out there doing you know whatever they need to do um and you know covering things fixing things in, in editing and competing yeah. as we're with video i think just the 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 activation energy needed to become a video producer with the the gear costs where you need more than just a camera to really do it professionally um you need lights you need audio you need you know quite a kit and then you need the expertise and the team to pull it off um on a certain uh, level yeah but that but that gets cheaper and cheaper you're yeah, just a few yeah. years behind us that's all it is i mean you're just it's just you know that's exactly what guys, i was gonna say and i feel like every time you guys are the railroad looking at the horses being like man i ain't nowhere those cars are gonna beat us like it's just you're just a few years behind that's yeah. all i think i think it's like it's i mean no when I was we're, in college, we're absolutely wasn't many very yeah a few years ago my college didn't own a red like the only camera you could shoot on was a tape camera or a 5d mark ii so we all bought 5d mark ii's and yeah. shot on them and it's like like literally it was life-changing to be able to shoot on a 5d mark ii in college and that was only a few years ago and now it's like it's like a joke like you can buy a black magic pocket cinema camera you can buy a7s whatever's 5ds m5 like literally a four or five hundred dollar dslr does more than my 5d mark ii did that i paid like almost three grand for in college yeah and it's just like it's i'm holding an audio recorder like these were literally like i have a zoom f4 this is i paid like four or five hundred bucks for this thing it was like a three thousand dollar investment to have a multi-channel mixer like it was just like oh you own a sound device or you don't record audio it's like oh cool thanks like it's, yeah it's nuts and Let's and it, which the stuff's getting cheaper i look at my own like like when, when i what i was saying a minute ago about like you know you think there's a bit of security in video but i am evidence of exactly that to the generation older than me of you know it takes three people to come in and run a camera and you want to do this, but the technology changed where I can show up with, you know, insert camera here. And because the autofocus has come as far as it has for most stuff, you don't need a focus puller. You can, you can get away without a focus puller in a lot of situations. Um, and that's 
one less person that's one less payroll that makes you cheaper and you know more appealing a lot of times and so in many ways we are the obnoxious young kids that that are coming in and disrupting the way things used to be done you know with the huge shoulder rigs and this and that to film an interview it's like you don't you don't need that now to produce something very similar and oh yeah there there's something there's something on the horizon that's going to that is dangerous that these young kids are, are, are learning and they're just going to be more nimble. They're going to have better gear um, and it's going to be cheaper and that's going to, yeah, continue to just revolutionize not only what we do, but how we compete for the, the, the business that, that we're all going for. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'll even pull it back further than that. Like you, you couldn't get depth of field in a video 10 years ago. Like that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Like, the only way to get it was to shoot 35 millimeter film. Like it was like, Oh cool. Do you have a hundred grand? No. Okay, cool. Uh, it's going to look like a tape because it's all video based. So like even just having depth of field is mind blowing, but yeah, it's totally true. And I think like the thing, you know, and I, I'm about to make a YouTube video about this, but like the one thing that the YouTube film school generation, which is like the current generation coming up right now, um, which is nothing wrong with that i'm not disparaging that but the one thing that none of that teaches is storytelling and that's the one thing that i'm so grateful i went to school for uh being in photojournalism that's all we talked about was storytelling and it's just like telling stories with cameras video and photo was our entire degree and so being able to do that supersedes all camera technology and i think that's like a thing that most people can't do like anyone can show up with a sony whatever you know, uh, Zion gimbal and a couple of lenses and make some kind of trippy little spinny flowy quotes. I put in gigantic quotes, cinematic, you know, video for a client. You know, I see them at all kinds of jobs, you know, like just running around, zipping around and they're just going to put it over music and they make a montage. Yeah. Anyone can take that work, but it's pretty hard to craft a story with a story arc, you know, an unanswered question and all the things you learn that basically drive someone to want to watch a video that's longer than 27 seconds on Instagram. And like that, it doesn't matter what camera you show up with, like, you know, you can make that look good on a 5D from six years ago and you can make it look good on an Alexa LF, like, you know, but if you don't have that storytelling, it can look bad on all of them. Yeah. And it's like that, that's the thing that like, that's where the craft comes in and that's what like, that's basically my planned defense mechanism against these people is like no computer, no young person can just walk in and say, oh, well, I figured out this is what's important for this client doing this thing. And these are the questions we should ask. And this is why and blah, 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 blah. Or this is why the lighting should look the way it looks. Or this is why we should choose these lenses. Like those are all decisions that happen after you figure out the story. While like I think a lot of people I see, like I was on this big job last year doing stills and there was like a like six people running around with like the sony's and the gimbals and they're just like like literally just kept doing the same things like to a comical effect like doing the same tricks over and over mm -hmm. for three days and i'm like i'm never gonna see this edit but i know what it looks like like you know what i mean it's gonna be like b-roll of this person b-roll of that person spin b-roll of this person b-roll that oh the logo again b-roll it's just like you're not gathering anything that will go together to make me like feel like I missed out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to know what this whole thing was about. It's just going to be like, you know, clapping hands and faces and like, I don't know. It's uh, when you, when you think about it though, if, if we're, if we're drawing the generalizations of, of, you know, if we're drawing arbitrary lines in, in generations, the younger generation that is producing this stuff, um, 
again, broadly speaking, that's less about the story and more about the motion and, you know, the, the look of a few clips. That is what succeeds on these social platforms. It, like, yeah. when you're scrolling through, you know, TikTok, and I, I'm not on TikTok, but, like, when there's so many apps where, where, where the content is so ephemeral, it's gone so quickly, that you're not looking for a story. You're scrolling for something. You want something to stimulate you for a moment, and then you're moving on. And I think it's not that they can't tell stories. It's that they don't, I don't know if they don't have the hunger for it, but they're just not existing in a platform where where there's room for story a lot of the time. Where if if it's a story, it's a long ass caption that's going underneath some reflective looking photo. It's not letting something develop visually um, and and really slowly you know come to fruition in an actual video. It's it's yeah. Let's I want to captivate your eyes really quickly because that's going to get me the like and that's what success looks like and. I, I like yeah. I almost feel bad to an extent because it's like we we as a society have dumbed down our attention spans and what we're willing to consume and anything that takes too long. It's like I ain't got time for that. But oh, yeah, but that's what but a I think story you could make is. that you could make that argument at any time frame, though, like watch a movie from 40 years ago or 70 years ago. And just look how long the cuts are. I mean, it's like every shot is like many seconds long. And then you watch a movie from today and it's just like cut, 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 cut. You know what I mean? Like you just watch a modern action movie and watch an action movie in the 70s. Like the 70s would have been like, I draw my pistol, I pull it out, I shoot the cowboy. Then you cut to the cowboy and he shoots. Oh, wow. And the horse falls. And it's like, like even in an action movie, the cuts were like seconds upon seconds long. And I'm sure they look at a modern movie and they're like, this looks like visual diarrhea. Like, you know, I mean, there's a cut every third of a second. And, you know, and it's the same, I think, with social media now where it's like, yeah, you know, I agree completely. It's like, you know, they probably aren't learning story as heavily as a generality um, because there's not a need um, or, or a want. And I think that's true. But I think there's also like that's the flavor of the month right now as far as platforms go. And it could be, you know, it could be the way things go. But I think at the same time you see YouTube growing at like exponential rates and you look at like how much YouTube grows and how many much viewership is on YouTube. And those videos are getting longer and longer. Like, you know, all my favorite YouTube channels, which I watch quite a bit of YouTube, um, like the videos are getting longer and longer and longer, which is totally counterintuitive to everything I learned a few years ago, which is like, no one will watch an online video past two or three minutes. But the technology is changing. Now you can watch YouTube on your TV instead of just on your phone or just on your laptop. So it's not rare for me and a few of my friends that we will wake up, have breakfast, and I'll turn on YouTube. And I'll check out what, you know, what's Goon Squad doing? What's Casey Neistat doing? What's, you know, these people doing? And, like, Casey Neistat's the perfect example. That dude can make a story out of tying his shoes. Like, he, like, I look to him as, like, a huge inspiration. And I, like, know he's totally cringeworthy. I know it's, like, there's so many things about him I can understand why you don't like and I personally don't like. But, like, if you watch one of his videos, he can make a story out of taking an airplane flight. Did you? Did you see his? People that can do that. Did you see his video of whatever I think it's called, like the residence or something? That airplane, crazy. Where he was talking about the uh, the amount of foot room you have. Oh yeah, and he's got the tape measure. Yeah, that to me, like I watched that, and afterwards I'm like, how long did it take him to shoot that sequence? Because there are so many angles of that tape measure, like coming toward the camera down the hall and going past the camera. 
And all it was was him measuring something, but it developed slowly. And you saw, like, it was such a, a cool little example of like, dang, you turned a tape measure into a story, one that captivated me. And that's impressive. Same. And he, and he is like quintessential show, not tell. He could easily run off. He could have run off and just put a text graphic on screen that said, this is 97 inches long or whatever yeah, it was. Shoot a you know? big wide angle and, and, and put the dimension yeah. on it. Yeah, exactly. And 99% of YouTube would have done that. And instead he said, well, I have to fill 10 minutes. So, and you know, who has a tape measure on an airplane? That's all I thought too. Yeah. I'm like, who has this? But no, I totally agree. And I thought the same thing. I was like, I was like, this is so clever. Like there's so many moments like that. If you watch a lot of his content that the other people don't do, like Matty Hapoya is another YouTuber that's growing and, you know, he's a Peter McKinnon, yeah. uh, you know, Dope compadre. Squad. Yeah, exactly. So he, um, he's whatever, but like, he would do. He would have put the measurement on the screen, you know, and he would have just talked at you for like those few minutes, while you know Casey Neistat would have somehow jumped out of the plane and been in a new terminal, and you know, like it's just like there's so much forethought to make a dumb video be that engaging. Like he, like it's so clear if you do it for a living that you can be like, well, there's a different. There's a reason he has 10 million subscribers because he can make a video out of everything. I mean, his Nike ad the do something ad or whatever that like blew him up years before I found him. But like, you know, they gave him $50,000 and he did the most viral thing ever and went and spent it on a trip with his friend. Like that's literally yeah. what they, they and like, turned the it whole into budget of the movie. A watchable video. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, like that is mind blowing. Like that is so mind blowing to me to be like, and like anybody who's like, yeah, I just took a trip. Like, it's like, you completely don't get, like, and I'm not saying it in, like, a bougie, like, you just don't get it. It's fine art. It's like, no, it's clever as hell. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff you need to be doing if you're in the advertising or storytelling world. Like, you need to figure out a way to make somebody watch a video. If he had done what every other YouTuber did, he was like, um, I really like how this display is really easy to read. And, you know, he would have done what everybody else did. He would have told them how they felt about it and whatever. And, like, eight people, to, you know, people to watch it because it's Casey. But, like, he... You know, he he made it into a video that anyone can watch, and at the end of it, you not only know about the product, but you also feel inspired, and that's like you know he he captured the emotion of a motionless wristband, which is craziness, you know. Yeah. Um, and he does that constantly, and I think like that's what good storytellers do, and I think that's like so hard to do. I think one of the things that Casey does really really well is, I mean, with with the example of that tape measure, you got to think to bring a tape measure. And then you gotta you gotta shoot the heck out of it, and he makes it look. And the Nike ad's another great example. He makes it look like oh, all I did was blew the money on a trip. But it's like no, 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 no. He's hunting down locations that you know the the whole jump into the uh, little lake, little pond thing in, yeah. in that video. Like he's scouting these things, he's finding them, he's doing the research to come across these things, and he's building a story. But part of his story is sort of the like oh, I don't care, it's just whatever. But it is actually so thoughtful, and just part of his character is the whatever, we're just making it up, we're just having fun, when really there's a ton of work that goes into making it look that effortless. Um, and, and that's yeah. what I think he, he, he does very well, is he makes us I, as viewers think like, oh, he's just partying. But there's a ton yeah, of he, work that goes into that. Yeah, he's just he's he's just rides his board down to the office, you know. But it's just like yeah, it's every 
like I that's my shortest way of saying it is like he can make tying his shoes into a movie. Like yeah. I would I would love to have like a Casey Neistat challenge where it's just like pick the most mundane thing and make it interesting. And I don't mean like put it in slow-mo and make it look cool and like whatever. You know what I mean? It's like like actually make me engaged in like the task of, you know, picking your kid up from school or getting coffee or I don't know what it is, but it's like he just like Oh man, I don't know. He's yeah. he's like the Simon Pegg movies where it's like, oh, I gotta get in the police car, and it's like vest, gun, yeah. seatbelt, you know, and then it like, and then the payoff is like he's sitting in traffic, you know, or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like those those kind of clever things that directors and stuff do, and people like Casey do is like, it's like that is what's gonna differentiate us from anyone with a camera. Which you know, I know everyone's like, your phone has a better camera than you know whatever, but it's like it doesn't matter what scale you're on. You know, people who are shooting Hollywood movies are like when Red came out, it was like oh, what the fuck? Like, now you can shoot a movie on a $30,000... Like, that was, like, a big deal. I and mean, Red was, like, you know, people look at... If, if you're at a lower tier, you're like, oh, Red's the cinematic standard. It's like, no, Red is the, Red's the A7 to, you know, film cameras. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, like, it's like they were the underdog FU to the companies above them. And now it's just like, you know, it just trickles down. And now there's like another level below that. That's just the middle finger up to the next yeah. tier. You know, it's like the little brother got smarter than the big brother. Then another little brother came along. <laughs> that's that's all it is. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think like there's so many things we can do to like play defense. And I think like storytelling is the biggest one. I mean, in whatever platform you do. And I think brands know that. And I think like brands understand that. And I think like when you get... Like you Super Bowl ads, you know what I mean? Like the Jeep Gladiator, Bill Murray ad. Like I watched that on the plane. I was flying during the Super Bowl, um, home from that uh, my friend's proposal, and like I was watching it, and I was watching it with no audio because I didn't bring a. I have AirPods, so I didn't have a wire, and I like look at the screen, and I start laughing. I was like, oh. I know it. I know this. Like I get it. Like I get yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like the story was so strong. That I was like, I get it. And like I was like, this is amazing. Like this is perfect storytelling. Like you know what I mean? It's like, you know, like a few shots. It's like the alarm clock. Bill Murray gets up, town square. I'm like, oh. And then he looks to the Jeep, and that was a twist for me. I'm like, every day is awesome in the Jeep Rubicon. I didn't need to watch the rest of the commercial. Yeah. Like all they did was cut to the Rubicon, and I knew the story. And then I watched the like, and you know what I mean? It, and then I saw it with the audio, and it was even better. Like you're gonna freeze to death, and he go, who cares? See you tomorrow. You know? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just so good. It's so good. And it was just like you just told the whole story of that movie, flipped it on its head in 27 seconds or whatever and, it is, and, and like, had a memorable ad for a product that wasn't an obnoxious slap in the face. It was a total fun take on. The, the and for a brand that is the most broy, obnoxious, you know what I mean? Like Jeep, Jeep is great. I, you know, I, I own a Jeep. I want another Jeep. Uh, but like, you know, I mean, most people own Jeeps are like mega bros or soccer moms, and it's like, you know, not not a brand that like or potato you know, jet, like yeah, or potato jet, which you know, his is sick. So like, I get it. Um, but like, to do it for a brand and like make us all chuckle. And, like, I 100% was like, well, now I know my second car in a few years. Like, <laughs> I want one of these Rubicon Gladiators. Like, yeah. You know, I wanted one before, but now I'm like, yeah, that that is, every day is fun when you're ripping around in the mud and dirt with a Jeep, you know? I, I pre-ordered uh, the Tesla Cybertruck. Oh, I yeah. I went that route. I have a few friends that did. Yeah. I'm, I'm eager to see how that turns. It, it's, it's due out right when my lease uh, is up on my current truck. And I'm like, this, yeah. this could be a nice little handoff. 
Yeah, I went. I I have an F one fifty. I just bought. Um, and I, I, my plan is to if I can make enough money and get out of debt, uh, from school, which is my short term goal, um, then I hope to get something from Tesla or another brand in the next few years. Yeah. Um, because I think they make a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah. Uh. I have a few friends who also put down the 200 bucks or whatever it was. 100 bucks. It's nothing. Oh, 100 bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is nothing then. Yeah. No, it's painless. You'd be uh, a fool yeah, not gotta, to do it. <laughs> I agree. Um, I've got I've got sort of two other questions for you. Yeah. Um, You had mentioned that after this, you're going to go do something for YouTube. You're going to record a, a YouTube not not like immediately but like one of the i like i struggle with youtube uh yeah, I, yeah. One my, of the, my question yeah, is yeah. just what's 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 your youtube strategy what are you doing with youtube man youtube is like i feel like i feel like i can make a whole youtube video about youtube uh i have very mixed feelings on youtube um and my youtube strategy was basically like a year or so ago, I probably, I like, you know, everyone has a YouTube, I think, like if you have a Gmail account, but yeah. so in that sense, I had a YouTube channel, but like, um, I think about a year or two ago, a year and a half, probably now, um, I decided like, Oh, I'm gonna start a YouTube channel. And I like made a couple videos and posted them, you know, and then like here and there, I basically upload. I have, uh, I had like had to, uh, send some stuff to a, like a college kid to like edit some things. And he, just finished one that I was looking at this morning right before we talked. So I'm going to upload that. But um, uh, basically the strategy was that in college I was a TA. Um, before that I was working at Best Buy and Geek Squad. And effectively, uh, well, I was working at Best Buy or Geek Squad and effectively I was teaching people how to use computers or how to use cameras or how to whatever, you know I mean? Yeah. That, that's, that's basically what you're doing when you work at a technology, like a re technology retail job is you're effectively teaching people that don't know how to use computers and stuff, how to use computers. Um, and so I've kind of like been educating people for several years now. And then I realized that I wasn't and I hadn't been for years. And again, like the last few years work's been, you know, I could always do better, um, I, but, you know, and I'm not rich by any means, but at least I wasn't like every month trying to figure out how to make my phone payment and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I was like, well, maybe I can like, maybe I can like try to like find the time to like, quote, get back into teaching or something like that. And YouTube was a logical way to do it. Um, so basically the basic strategy is just share some information um, and find a way to like kind of delve out some of the things that I wish I knew or that I find it hard to find the answers to, um, or in some way maybe share personal experience in the industry or something like that. Um, so far, it's just been like kind of tech tips and tech reviews and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, I probably only have like 20 videos up. It's not like it has a lot of uh, momentum behind it. Um, but YouTube is super frustrating. It is like you put a ton of work into stuff and then it gets no views. And it's like literally constant. Like it's like, it doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter how much work you put into it. doesn't matter how nice you make it work. Um, it's like up to the gods as to whether or not it gets watched by anyone. And yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I like, I know how people do it, but like, I don't know how they do it in any sort of timely fashion, you know, or without being like super corny. Um, and what I basically learned, so I watched a lot of YouTube video before I made my first YouTube video. And like, that's when I got into watching YouTube is basically everyone on YouTube isn't professional at what they're talking about. They're professional at getting you to watch a YouTube video about the thing they're talking about. Yeah. And I will call out anyone on that platform. Um, and like Peter McKinnon is like 
the, one of the most obnoxious dudes on that platform, but he is a damn genius at getting views. Like he is so good at getting people to watch his videos. And it's just like, you know, he makes it personal, he makes it engaging. Um, and you know, he makes it look like he's not a millionaire, which I think he is at this point. He has to be. Um, and he does all these things to basically make it like, Oh, I'm just a regular dude. That's like into photography. And it's like, you're not really, you're like a YouTuber. Like you just picked this content platform. Like, you know? Yeah. And you're really good at giving very basic tips in a fun way. And it's like, I think like that's the big thing with YouTube that's frustrating is I think like a lot of people go on YouTube to learn things and, and they find, basically YouTube's really good at teaching you pieces of a puzzle, but not showing you the box of the puzzle. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I can go it's on well there said. and learn like, how do I, like, how do I, like, how do I reveal this graphic in After Effects? Well, I can find the answer to that. How do I learn After Effects? You won't find that. Like, you know, I mean, you, you might, but like, it isn't. Like, it isn't a platform for that. And and to the point that I made a video, like, I had a bunch of friends who were like, man, I want to learn Lightroom. I want to learn Lightroom. You know, I have a lot of friends in the film world who don't really know Lightroom. And I got a lot of friends who are photographers that are still Photoshop people. Like, a lot of people still use Photoshop primarily. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I made a video. Sent it to a bunch of people. It's probably the worst viewed video I've ever uploaded. And it's like, it's literally a zero to 60. Like, here's how the software works. Here's where everything is. Um, you know, here's basically how I run through using the software. And it's like literally what I would teach someone sitting next to me for 10 or 15 minutes. Like, this is how you use Lightroom. Mm -hmm. And nobody watched it. But you have like a super isolated camera comparison or a clip, you know, a, you know, a, a clip on how to do a certain thing blows up like does tons and tons of views, you know? And that's basically what all these people have built their audience on. It's like, I'm going to find a tutorial and I'm going to remake that tutorial, you know, and you can find the answers to all the things, all the things they teach you, you can find a million places, you know? You're basically watching that character teach you elementary level yeah. Photoshop, Premiere, and After Effects tips or whatever the popular software is, you know? Um, and then and then they sell you LUTs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they sell you LUTs uh, sell you or presets. presets. Uh, yeah. And so that's that's kind of like the whole thing. Um, so for me, it's hard because it's like I want to do things that are professional. I want to do things that are helpful to other professionals. And I want to do things that have integrity. You know, I'm going to like, um, you know, when, a, uh, you know, things come out that I don't like or, you know, I have an opinion on something. I want to share that honestly. Uh, because there's no risk. I don't. No one's paying me to do it. I'm making yeah. no money off of it. But at the same time, it's it's uh, it's not what the platform wants. You know what I mean? The platform feeds the beast of like clickable content um, that is not necessarily short in length, but short in what it covers. Um, so again, like you know what I mean? Like yeah, specifically, be hyper like, specific about. Yeah, Your yeah. Like, how does the curves panel work in Lumetri? Would be like a great YouTube topic. But how do color grade in Lumetri, or how to color grade footage, would probably get no views. But like, how do I use this one aspect of Lumetri color panel? Or how do I use this yeah. one aspect of DaVinci or Final one Cut Pro? HSL slider? Correct. That would that would you know what I mean? And you can make a five minute video about it. But if you made a thirty five minute video on like beginning to end how to color grade footage, like no views like and the people who watch it would probably be stoked you know like i've had that those kind of comments on things people are like yeah really dive deep into this and it's like great you and eight other people will be awesome like stoked on it which there's nothing wrong with that and that's okay for me but like it gets tough to no, justify correct there's no there's absolutely currently there's absolutely no practical reason to do youtube other than to like continue to do youtube and i don't it that's hard for me because because it's just like when you go to spend money or time, it's like, do you waste it on something that no one's going to watch? And the people that do watch it, 
I mean, not to say they don't appreciate it, but like, I don't know if they appreciate how much goes into it um, versus what they're getting out of it. I don't, I don't know how, yeah. the best way to wrap that up, but like, it's just like, it, it, you know, you're, you're building a mountain and then getting a molehill. I don't want my headphone to die. So, um, and I think that's like the really hard part for me. Yeah. I, so my channel, I think I have like 975 subscribers or something like that. Like I'm so close. Almost rich. I'm so close to making my $4 a month. And yeah, but for me, I, I went through a thing like in 2016 through 2017 where I vlogged a little bit and I started making videos and I was having a ton of fun. And aside from like, yeah, satisfying that, that desire to teach and share, I was learning a bunch, like rather than me learn on the fly with a client of like, oh, crap, like as I have a new camera, like rather than figure it out on set with somebody, like I'm messing with it myself and producing something and realizing like, oh, when I get this in post, this is sort of funky. I should check my exposure because this happens. And I was figuring that out all with, with YouTube videos. So it had a value to me just for the iteration of it, like just to have made something. And then I stopped mostly making videos for like two years and I went back in uh, mid-2019 and I had, like when I was making stuff, I had 200 subscribers. And then with making almost nothing, I came back and I had like 900 subscribers. And I was like, whoa, what, what happened here? And looking to your point about you can't, you know, pick which videos get views and you don't know which ones of yours will, for some reason I have audio tutorials that every month get thousands of views and they're they're two years old and it's like comparing the Rode NTG3 and the VideoMic Pro and yeah. that thing gets over a thousand views every month it's two years old the audio in it of me comparing things is so poorly mixed that it's actually clipping and I like as I made it, I wasn't worried. Like I was just sort of, you know, doing it and messing with stuff. Yeah. And if I knew then that that video would have thousands and thousands of views, I probably would have taken a little bit more time to make sure it was perfect. But yeah. there's other videos that I have perfected, and I think they're gorgeous and perfect, and they have 25 views. And there's yeah. just hundred. It, it, it's it's just agree. such a, a lame thing. So as I've started to make more, and I'm trying to just post a bunch to get to that. If I can get to that thousand subscribers. All my old videos that are get, like these audio videos, I'll actually get the revenue from them. Um, but currently, they're all not making me money until I hit this you know threshold of a thousand subscribers. And oh, so I've just been putting videos out there on a range of topics, and I get asked a lot of questions by like I work with some different schools, and so a lot of students ask me questions, and I turn those questions into videos, like my answer as they're asking me about what lenses like. When they have a specific question, that's what I try to address. Um, and yeah. like that's where I get my ideas from. But so they're so varied. But I can tell the videos that I hate the most, I know are going to get more views. Like when I title it in a way of like, like I posted one two weeks ago. It's like how to actually make a living as a freelance creator. And in the thumbnail, I'm like holding up money. Um, and it's... Of course, you're like shocked that money exists. Oh, like, yeah. Whoa. I've got the dumb There's face on. circle around you or something. Oh, Totally. And that thing is blowing up and it's like, I, I hate it. I hate that. Yeah. And I hate that it blew up because of the thumbnail. And if you look at the stats, like viewership drops off after 30 seconds hard because I yeah. start talking about like how to invest and how to budget and 
how to, you know, separate your finances so that you can do things properly. Like it's actually a thoughtful video with a lot of experience going into it, but yeah. the first 30 seconds isn't here's where you put your money to make a million dollars. And so people are like, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. How yeah, do, I'm good. How do we live that life that you're living in the thumbnail, man? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing I struggle with with it is it's like, do you stay genuine to yourself or do you make garbage content that lets you and your hipster ass friends like, you know, go to conferences talking about the newest whatever thing that someone paid you to say is the newest whatever thing. And I think like that's the other big thing. I think a lot of people are currently probably skirting around the FC or FTC and stuff, um, acting like this product is the coolest product ever and like, you know, not disclosing how much they're getting paid. And I think a lot of these people are getting paid a lot more than all of us are privy to. Um, you know, I, I like Peter McKinnon is a great example. He drives a Ford Raptor in Canada. Canada is more expensive for gas. Like to drive that back and forth, the grocery store has got to be a $10 trip and that's an $80,000 truck in America. So, um, you have a lot of money to be able to buy one of those when I know for a fact, based on your other videos, you have a house and you have a studio and you have a red and, you know, countless, you have so much stuff. Like you are a wealthy person, which is fine, but you're getting wealthy off of viewership of content that is engaging and awesome and all the things that it is. But I think like, I don't know the level of disclosure as to like how much people like that are getting paid, how much of that is influenced by money. Um, and again, not hating the game. I'm just saying like, I think uh, most people as viewers who aren't in the industry or can see through that probably are just like, dude, he's stoked on this. He's stoked on it. I'm stoked on it. Or she's stoked on it. Like whoever it is you're watching and you go through reviews, like you look up any product, I challenge anyone look up a niche film or photo product and go on there and Google it and say such and such reviews. You will find so many spo clearly sponsored posts. Like I was looking up a plugin the other day and it's like their website has reviews. So that does a third or half of the front page of Google. And then you see videos and it's like someone with a rep so you know that's sponsored yeah or it's like them and it's like oh it's the person they reference on the site it's their video so it's like so you know that person got paid like you know what i mean like philip bloom has a whole career off of this peter mckinnon has a career off of this like all these people and it's not to say it didn't start from the you know the truest of intentions or things like that but it's like you know there's a reason none of these people are making money from other sources so it's like you know the money has to be coming from doing the reviews or talking about the products and again I have nothing bad to say about doing that, but I do have to say that like, I think there's a little lack of transparency when it comes to, you know, the creator and the audience as to like what's going on there. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's more than just being like, they sent this to me. How sick, you know, it's like, yeah. Okay, like your Narbox review is like, you know, 30 seconds of you listing off the features and you hit it with a hammer. Like, um, that's, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like you didn't run it through the paces on a professional workflow or, you know, and, and, you know that's just the one I remember off the top of my head. Um, but like, it's it's like there's so many products like that where it's just like, oh, we're going to, you know, and, and it's he's an example, but there's a million of them where it's just like, you know, oh, this thing is sick. Look how sick it is. And I'll talk about how sick it is. And then I get paid. And it's just like, you know, that's fine. I just wish there was more transparency between like, these people gave me money to talk about this product. And they, you know, had final say over what comes out. Like, that's all I'd want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these people paid me and they, they got final approval on what came out or they paid me. They sent me this. I'm giving it away or I'm keeping it. 
and they had no say on what I said or did. And I, I think Both people, fine by me. I think people who, who even when they know that you know these these influencers are getting paid, they think like, oh well, they probably got you know five thousand dollars. You know, they probably got ten thousand dollars. Like, they're oh, yeah. getting six figure deals for these things. Like, it is yeah. massive. Oh. And I think. I'm I'm fine knowing someone got paid to review something, but I think the difference between knowing somebody got paid ten thousand dollars and knowing somebody got paid you know one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, that affects me as a viewer of like okay, okay yeah. this is like I basically knowing what I would do or what I wouldn't do for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars makes me look yeah. at these other influencers and be like yeah. Yeah, Dude, if any brand anything. wants to send me a thing for free and give me $5,000, I will say whatever you want. Like, I have no shame in this. Yeah. You know, I'm, like, I, I mean, any amount of money is a lot of money. And if you have a channel where, like, you know, I think I'd have to justify, if I went full-time YouTubing, which I don't intend to do, but if I did, you know what I mean? Like, all I got to do is beat what I'm making now or come up with the same amounts what I'm making now. So it's like, if you had one deal that was a couple grand a month, like you're probably, you're living pretty comfortably in most of America. Yeah. Like, you know, so if it's like, so if you can get a few thousand of once a month off of just them giving you money and plus your viewership and the feed of content, like that's the other big elephant in the room is like, in addition to giving them money, like, the, you know, they're feeding this beast. Like that's the hardest thing with creating content is like, what the hell do you talk about every day? You know what I mean? And like I said, you see some of these YouTubers kind of blow up and then they fall off because, and I'm not saying they're falling off, but like the quality falls off because now it's like, oh shoot, I got to feed this. I got to, you know, I have to feed this feed of videos. I have to, I have to be uploading. And then it's like, like Matty Hapoya is a great example. Like his content was super engaging, super in depth. I, I personally think he was the brains behind Peter McKinnon for most of what Peter did for a while. And both of them, when they started to clearly grow apart, which I don't think it's, there's anything wrong between the two of them as someone who just watches them on YouTube. I don't know either of them, but like Maddie's videos got way less interesting and Peter's quality of like the actual content got way less interesting. Cause I think Maddie was the brains and Peter was the style. And then now Maddie's just talking at a camera about like, Oh, I bought this thing and it's really neat. Oh, it's really cool. You know, he's just like talking about stuff that no one cares about. Yeah. Or he's talking about really technical things in a way that isn't super interesting to watch. And then on Peter's videos, he's now like, Oh, I don't have to answer for what my channel is. It's just like what, you know, I'm just dumping stuff out of my pocket or I'm doing like, you know, they're all like doing less videos with less content. Because it's hard to come up with stuff. Yeah. And they probably don't have to. I mean, they got a backlog of videos that people are finding. And, you you know, if you view 20 videos, like, well, there's a few hundred minutes a month that, you know, some new person's finding. They're just at critical mass at this point, you know? Yeah. And um, it's interesting. It's all interesting. And, again, there's no negativity in my eyes to any of this. Like, they're playing the game and they're playing it well and they're successful. And that's great. Um and I think it's just like, it's all super interesting because it is the platform to watch, I think. You know what I mean? Like, I think as more and more people cut cords, like, I find myself, I have, like, television subscriptions. I have HBO. I buy movies on iTunes. And most days I start my day watching YouTube because yep. I find it more engaging. I find it more interesting. And it's, like, it's super niche, super catered content, which advertisers love. I said to someone the other day, I was like, can you imagine if you were a brand and you had a product coming out and someone's like, I have 500,000 subscribers and they're all into xyz whether that's cars whether that's bike riding whether that's you know filmmaking like that is like a dream for an advertiser to be yeah. like oh yeah you want a targeted audience here's a half million people that are only interested in this thing 
Uh, yeah, rather than doing a TV campaign grand. where you're going to reach a whole bunch of people and yeah. also, like to yeah. just narrow it down and say, I know that the people that watch this channel are people that also buy gear and they've got stats on their own affiliate links and stuff like that. Like you can say that when I talk about something, 4,000 people buy it and you can do the math yeah. on that. And yeah, that's exactly. that's quite an asset. Yeah, it's super like social media is a handful and interesting at the same time. And yeah, YouTube is I'm very love hate with YouTube at the moment. Um, again, no, no hatred to anybody doing it well and anything like that. It's just like it is climbing a mountain to eat a sandwich right now. And it's just like, I don't know. I've I, never I, heard that expression before and I love it. I made it up as I said it. So that's so that's, good. I'm Climbing a, a mountain town, to so, eat a sandwich. That's good. Yeah. That's what it feels like though. It's just like every time I do a YouTube video, I'm like, cool. I'm going to, I come up with the idea and I sit down and I shoot it and then I have to edit it. And like some days I've done ones where it's like, I'm going to make this entire video in three hours. And the other days I'm like, no, I'm going to make it look good. I'm going to go to different spots. And it's like, doesn't matter what you do. You're yep. like I said, you're at the will of the gods, whether or not it does well. Now I will say to kind of turn this around to a positive note, I agree with you. I think I think YouTube has a lot of value as a creator, even if you make no money and even if you have no success. So the video I want to make, I want to talk about YouTube, and this is basically the spark notes of it. I think YouTube sucks, and I think everyone should have a channel. I think it teaches me so much when I go on there and make something. It teaches me about what I'm actually talking about. So if I'm going to, like, one of the next ones I want to do is how to master the audio system on the C200, because people love C200 stuff on my channel. So I'm going to make, like, how to master all of the audio settings on the Canon C200. So that's going to make me have to relearn all of the audio settings, go through it all, write down what everything is, and teach myself that, which is super valuable. Now, I'm not saying you have to make a tech channel or do all this stuff. Whatever you pick to do, though, is going to teach you skills um, and hone skills that otherwise you'd be doing on paid client or personal projects. Um, I have gotten a lot quicker at delving through talking. I have gotten a lot quicker at just like making edits. I've been less afraid to make jump cuts and other things that might not fit a real client, but like, I, I like it. You just get quicker at things and it gives you repetition of skills and allows you to do stuff that's stupid that you don't know if it'll work or not and try it because who cares? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. eight people are going to watch this. So like, yeah, I'm going to do, uh, you know, I'm going to make this goofy cut or i'm gonna make this goofy transition or i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this extra drone shot in there you know whatever like it's like whatever it is that you want to try or any camera or any technology like go for it and like people will watch stuff shot on an iphone so maybe it's just i'm uncomfortable talking to strangers well guess what a great way to learn how to talk to strangers is hold your phone in front of your face and talk to a piece of plastic like if yeah you, it's if a you can get good at doing that like you're going to be probably pretty good at talking to strangers or selling yourself or talking about something. And you also then, you have to then watch yourself and you realize like, man, I sound like an idiot. And like, I need to be better at figuring out what I'm saying and saying it clearer and better. And saying um, um, I have less. A, saying um less that's, is like the biggest thing. But I have like a bit Achilles of a... Heel. Yeah, I'm from a small town. I have, I have Everyone always bitches that I have marbles in my mouth and I mumble. And that is totally true. Like, I am terrible at projecting. And if you watch me on social media on YouTube, like, I'm like, yes, we're going to talk about the Canon EOS R, da, 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 da. But if you met me in person, you'd be like, please, for the love of God, please say that sentence again. Like, <laughs> everyone I've dated, like, they're always just like, I have no idea what you're saying 90% of the time. <laughs> and that's that's fine. But, like, YouTube has helped me get better about that and understand that, like, 
oh, if I don't understand what I'm saying watching it back, there's no way a stranger is going to be able to watch it. And I think it helps you then coach people you're directing. It helps you um, engage with strangers or people from other areas of the country, um, things you have to do for work. But it mainly teaches you so many technical skills. Like you can have a YouTube channel about, you know, food you like or something, but it's going to make you figure out a way to tell a story of something that you don't think, you probably think is interesting, but you probably don't have a direct like, this is why this matters. And I think like that's what YouTubing teaches you. Um, there's and I a, think like that's, that's a huge value. Yeah, there's a, a kid, he's in high school, um, and I've hired him several times. He's a great photographer, um, and I, he's starting to get more into video, and so I've let him come to shoots and stuff like that, and, and we've worked together. Um, and he texted me the other day, and this was the impetus for my video that went up on Monday, um, but he said, like, what is one thing that I can do to really, like, level up and get better at video and, like, advance my career? And my advice was simply make something. And it sounds like such a cop-out for advice, but the truth is, especially when you're at that level, if you wait and only do work when you're getting paid, you're not going to do that much work. Like, you have to be working. You have to iterate. You have to use your camera. You have to mess with the settings. YouTube, to your point, is a great way to do that. It's a great way to make videos, to finish it, to see it through from conception, through production, through editing, and through publication. And if you're only doing stuff for paid clients, you're just not going to do that much for a long time. And it's going to be real slow growth. But if you can get out there and iterate and practice and try, when you do get those paying clients, they're going to be a lot better. But Man, if you're if you're living your your life and, and running your career and saying, well, I'm only going to do paid work, like that's fine. You're just not going to do that much for a long time, and you're going to grow a lot slower, and you're going to develop uh, professionally. Your talents will develop slower than somebody who isn't crossing their arms and saying, well, I'm not doing YouTube video. I'm not going to waste my time. Like, okay, that's fine, but you're not yeah. going to learn the things that we're all learning by doing. Yeah, and, and you can play sword YouTube with whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it is, you got to go out and do it. And I had a mentor years ago, and he he basically said, like, <laughs> I, I we ended up falling out, but uh, it was one of the best pieces of advice he ever gave me. I was pretty fresh out of college, and he says, I, like, was telling about some story idea I had. I'm like, oh, I want to go photograph this story and blah, blah, blah. He says, do it. He goes, half of this career is doing it. He goes, Anybody can talk about the stories they want to do. Anybody can talk about the projects they want to do. Anybody can talk about the way they do things. They said, do it. Like, if you come in and you have a project that's done, we can have a very different conversation than if you come in and tell me about the thing you want to do or the thing you can do or the thing you, you know, oh, yeah, I can totally do that. And I guarantee to you, no matter how many times I'm like, oh, this job will be cake, you know, as recently as last week, <laughs> um, you know, you can, you, you oh, this will be easy. Everything's going to be the way it is. And you walk in and something isn't the way that it was supposed to be or told it was going to be. And guess what? If you, you know, luckily through repetition and skills, like you figure it out. But if you're, if you're showing up and you're like, I have this camera, I have this light, I have this microphone, everything will work out. Well, the first time you walk into one where that doesn't work out is the first time you realize that you aren't a professional yet. And if yeah. you're doing something like YouTube, and again, it doesn't have to be YouTube, but something that's giving you a repetition of skills, you know, maybe it's doing, uh, you know, something for like, you know, the, the local animal shelter or the local FFA or, a you know, a little 
whatever it is, you know, like I'm going to do something for the mountain bike trail chapter here soon. And the guy was like, Hey, I know it's a kick in the face to say, can you come work for free? But like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I ride the trails constantly. You know, if I can do something that's different, like I don't film mountain biking. Like I've never filmed mountain biking, like ever. I ride mountain bikes, but I don't film that stuff. So it's like, cool. If it gives me something new I can do or some new gear I can play with or who knows what, you know what I mean? Like I got this new audio recorder. Um, maybe I can really focus on like tire sounds and like this and that and really put together like a really heavy duty audio mix. You know what I mean? Like that'd be a new skill set that I wouldn't do that I can find a way to do. And because of YouTube, I can make a YouTube about it. You know, yeah. I can hook up and be like, Hey, like this is the thing I'm trying to do. And like what I'm learning or, or, or basically whatever it is. And, and that's, that's the, that's the secondary beauty of something like YouTube is like, you can you can find things that might not be what you want to be doing, but you can find a way to make it so it makes content for your channel. Yeah. Now the immediate downfall is if you're actually working professionally, um, like I am most of the time, um, it's really hard to find the time to go and do this stuff, um, which makes life, you know, it makes it really hard to do. And that's that's another thing I probably yeah, talk you don't about have, in my video. But it's like if you don't have a reason you don't see a lot person. of professionals on there. Yeah, oh, like yeah, I, I've yeah. thought about that. Like, I want to make a video about how I set up for an interview, and it's like I either have to get a, a camera and a tripod and record myself as I'm actually setting up live for a client, which usually the client's around, and I feel like I would feel like an idiot, like with my client in the room yeah, setting same. everything up. But at the same time, the alternative is: do I hire somebody who's just there filming a YouTube video of me while I'm doing my job? And that, which will make you no money. Which which will make me no money. <laughs> that, yeah, you pay someone to not make money off of it. Yeah, to share knowledge with people who don't appreciate it. I mean, no offense to anybody watching YouTube, but like, you know, they're not going to send you an email and be like, "Hey, I think you deserve five dollars." Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's not going go. to happen. Well, let me yeah. pay your cell phone bill for the month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th I I think which is a real kick in the face because like literally. Like I, I, though I listen to one podcast that's pretty tech heavy and interview heavy, and I support their Patreon. Even months I don't listen to it, I just blindly give the dude five dollars because he's he's giving me more than five dollars worth of knowledge. Oh, yeah. every month. But that that's not everyone's attitude, you know. I have another friend who does the same thing with a completely unrelated. But there's a dirt bike podcast, and he's like, every year they like have this thing you can pay to join. He goes, I pay for it every year because he goes, I don't care if the content's free. He goes, it gives me like. 10 hours a week of content I listen to like it's well worth the $20 a year or whatever yeah. so compared to what we're paying for Netflix and HBO and the rest of it oh yeah yeah, yeah or just McDonald's yeah, or Taco that too. Bell yeah, yeah I, I, I think like, is it worth buying me a chalupa every month that I taught you a new skill set you're going to use on a job <laughs> buy me one chalupa everyone like that's all I ask is yeah, for one chalupa that works yeah I, th yeah I think your note on on just do it is important and that's sort of what I cowardly hide behind sometimes, like looking at my the mess that I've made on YouTube and, you know, however many videos I have there now. I think like, man, any one of these could be better. Every one of these sucks. And I, I still find comfort in the fact that, you know, at least I did it. And there, there's yeah. there's haters that comment. And it's like, why the hell are you... If you didn't like my video, go away. I didn't ask you to watch it. I just put it here. Yeah. And for you to make fun of my hat does nothing for me and yeah but but i think like i always go and click on their channel i always go like when haters say something i always click and they never have videos and i'm like yeah it's yeah. real easy to talk about how bad your video make one 
make one and then come tell me how bad mine is. Because after I started making them and before I'm not a mean person, I never commented mean things. I'm like, wow, this video sucks. But after you make <laughs> yeah. a few, you've, you get instant respect for like, man, it takes a ton of work to put something together that looks decent. And if somebody's yeah. making the effort, no, no other respectable creator is going to knock somebody for getting out there and, and creating something. And I feel no, like I agree. there's a lot of jealousy from the people who just are afraid to take that step in because they're mean to people and they assume people will be mean to them. But yeah. And it, yeah, I totally agree. I think, yeah, I think, I, I think I, I, I have, I have the mindset right now. I'm hoping to make like a big project this year. I don't know what that big project will be, but that's like a thing I keep talking to a few close friends about. Like we got to do something big. We just got to do something big. I don't know what it'll be. But let's just do something big because I know damn well, if you do something big, everyone else doesn't do something big. So when you do something big, it doesn't matter how good or bad it is. I mean, it has to be good. It has to be like good enough to get through. But like, if you make like, you know, something that's like competent, like the next asshole down the street who did something big, who doesn't know what he's doing is going to get jobs. Like you, I, I find that a million times, you know, there's some mm-hmm. asshole on Instagram or some asshole on YouTube or whatever who has some job. You're like, how the hell did that guy get it? Yeah. It's like, oh, because he went and shot that other thing with his friends last year and it sucks, but it's together and mm-hmm. it's competent and it's in the relative style of the next job, you know? And it's like, I, that's my whole goal of 2020 is like 2019. I was in, I, you know, got in a big accident and I was in medical recovery mode all year. But like 2020, it's like, I got to set myself up to do something relatively large, whatever that is. And I think it'll just go a long way because most people don't know how to do a lot of skills. And every time I post on Instagram that I, or on YouTube or whatever, that's like a basic interview or basic this or basic that, that I'm like, oh yeah, we do these all the time. You know, last week we did the job and Zach had a lighting diagram. We said, you know, we went in, I started doing the backdrops. He starts putting the lights, put everything together. And the three of us, you know, me, Zach and Julian, I'll put it all together and it looks fine. It looks good. We all expect, it looked like what we all expected to look like when we put everything together, posted on, on my story, just like a screen grab that, uh, the producer posted. And I got so many DMS are like, dude, that looks sick. And I'm like, uh, there's like 20 things we hate about this, but I'm glad that you're stoked on yeah. it. You know what I mean? And it just reminds me, I'm like, okay, go do the thing and share it and like make something cooler than what most people do on a day-to-day basis. And people will probably be stoked and people will probably be impressed because I think most people just end up doing, they don't, they don't go and do the thing. Like I said, that guy said, it was one of the best pieces of advice. Half of this career is actually doing it and like going from concept and lighting diagram or whatever camera spec or light or buying the gear or borrowing the gear or doing whatever, then actually going and putting something together that you can stamp your name on is two completely different echelons of the world. And I know that like you have to have money and you have to have gear and you have to do all these things, but like at some point you have to just pony up and eat eat the sandwich and uh you know the shit sandwich as I call it. You gotta eat that shit sandwich and make something, put it out and be scared and like um and like let people not like it or like it or whatever. But I think like there's I meet so many people that are younger than me that have never done anything and they're just like they're just talking out their ass and any discipline of anything it's like oh yeah i know how to do that or, oh yeah i know how to do that or yeah i i, I could do that I, i'm just waiting for the i'm waiting for someone to call me or i'm waiting for the opportunity then you meet other young people who are just like ah fuck it i'm gonna go do this and you when you talk to one of those people you're you're like oh two years later they've blown up and you're like oh yeah of course yes yeah. you know they just went and made something you know even doesn't matter where they live doesn't matter where they are doesn't matter how much money they have 
it's like I put a story together with stills or video or whatever, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, no one else did that. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think your your point a minute ago about like doing the mountain biking and essentially focusing on sound design. I think it's easy to close my eyes and imagine, you know, a Nike commercial that looks like that. But Nike's not going to hit you up and say, hey, is this something you think you would be able to do? But if Nike sees this thing that you have done, you put together some ASMR bicycling, like I can I can close my eyes and picture that if somebody sees that, then they're like, oh, we want that for us. But no one's going to just approach you and be like, yeah, this is probably something you could figure out. Right. Can we pay you to figure it out on the fly for us? Like that doesn't happen. But you go out there, you make it. Then people find you and say, hey, we love what you did. Do it for us. Yeah. And that is a thing that you will be astounded how many clients cannot take the thing you did and has all of the skills necessary and not be able to switch it to their product or style. That is something that I don't know what it is, but like I've shown a reel to clients that like is 4,000 times better than what they've been doing. Um, and I remember I went to like this network of car dealerships and don't ever try to get a job at car dealerships, but this was years ago. And I showed them like this reel and it had interviews, it had action, it had sports, it had all these things and like whatever. And it had all these, like all this great content, like and like stuff I was super proud of and still would be proud of. And I showed it to him and I'm like, you basically have a GoPro strapped to a drone or like a shot of someone shaking hands. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is way better. And I got to the end of showing it to the guy who's like this big VP or president of the yeah. whole network of dealerships. And he goes, there's no cars in here. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, we sell cars. And I was like, okay. And he was just like, all right, well, thanks. And that was it. And I was like, wow. And I, and I would like to say that that was isolated, but I've had that conversation with yeah. other clients too. And they, like, they're just like, do you have anything that's like, you know, insurance people. And I'm like, well, I've got like healthcare, you know what I mean? It's like, you realize a person talking to a camera, like it doesn't matter what their job is. Like if it looks nice, it looks nice. Like I'm going to, you know, switch out the background for instead of a tool set, put in, you know, a doctor's office. Like that's the same problem. They don't see it that way. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, um, but like, that's, I like it. They, I, I and a few friends are continually surprised that like, most clients can't be like, oh, he, he, you know, he shot this whole football thing. He'll probably be able to figure out soccer, you know, or whatever. Like the, it's, it's literally like that close. And you'll be like, they'll be like, oh, but do you have any lacrosse? And you're like, I, shit. <laughs> like, you know, what I mean? like, I don't know, like whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Some people can go look past it, but like, I will say, if you want to start doing car commercials, you better start shooting cars. And if you want to do music videos, guess what? You better start shooting music videos, not short films, and then have a perform. Like whatever you want to do, you better go out and start doing that thing. Um, and be able to show it's going to connect the dots. They, they, yeah, and it's amazing. It's like I said, these are people that are smart, and they just like, oh, that well, I have no idea. <laughs> All right, I've got one last gimmicky question for you, and then sometime in the future, if you want to do this again. I feel like there's a ton more we can talk about, and there's a bunch of questions. I have 16 questions for you, and we got to four of them. Um, oh, dude, I have. Uh, I'm from a small town, and people call it the Bradford County Gift of Gab. We can talk at a wall. If you put a pickup truck between me and one of my buddies, uh, you could watch the sun come up and down between us talking about literally nothing. <laughs> so yeah, I'm 100% guilty of that. Anyways, well, well my so if if you'd be down sometime in the future to talk, I think there's a bunch I of totally. stuff about. As, as an operator, 
when you're filming or, or, or taking photos and you give those to someone else and like relinquish that control, I'm fascinated by that. And as I'm doing that more and more, there's times where I look at my footage, and I'm like, what the hell did you do to it? Don't put my name on that. Um, and yeah. so I, I have questions about that, especially when you're shooting for like Getty and things like that. Oh, but yeah. that's for another day. My gimmicky fun question for you is, other than a computer, camera, or a lens, what is one piece of gear that if you had to start over, you would make sure you had in your kit? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, obviously those are important, and in either discipline, those are important. Um, if I was on the filmmaking, assuming you have a tripod, uh, filmmaking without a good tripod is like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. But I would say the one thing that looking back, I wish I bought much earlier was a good monitor for video um that that is like something that i didn't know i needed and then i did uh, i went to the olympics um if we're honest i went to the olympics and i didn't have one i just had the regular monitor and i had my eyepiece and whatever on the camera i was using and i just every day was just like does this look right does it like i don't know like all day every day it was just like a nightmare and then my buddy who had a you know high bright nice monitor was just like yeah we're good you know like he was just like we're good like everything we did he was like oh we're good and i think like that that simple piece of gear is probably the best thing and buy a good one like you know what i mean like spend more than you're probably a little bit comfortable with because like you want to have a monitor that you know and can trust and will last Um, you a while and will last you a while yeah like and and they've gotten so much cheaper that's the reason i didn't have one starting out like it was like thousands of dollars for a good monitor what do you have now like um i have two small hds i have a five inch and a seven inch i think they're 702 and 502 but they're like the bright um five and seven inch from like a year or two ago i had the five inch that was when i bought new um in 2018 so that was i think like the 502 bright or something and then i um recently bought a used seven inch off a buddy who had two, he had two of them and he's like, he bought it cause it was a good deal and he sold it to me for the same good deal. I just got um, their, their Teradek, uh, built yeah. in system. And that to me, um, I, I think I could absolutely live without wireless monitor, but I don't especially, know if I <laughs> well, like when I'm, when I'm directing and when I, when someone else is running gimbal, like I have to see it. I, I, I don't, I feel like it's so oh. easy to do gimbal moves poorly that yeah. I, I just want to make sure that, that it doesn't look awful, um, regardless no, of how much I may trust it's on, someone. That is on my 2020 post-NAB purchase list, is a lot of wireless monitoring stuff. I've been renting and borrowing it, and it's totally like I'm just waiting for like, okay, I just don't want to buy the last generation. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm waiting for the next one. But I think I think a monitor opens up so much. You can trust your image. You can trust your camera more. You get false color. You get peaking. You get... You get so many little tools that just give you more confidence and certainty into what you're getting. Um, and it's also nice because as you go camera to camera, um, which happen, will happen more and more uh, when you're starting out and when you're further along in the career, you kind of get a sense of like, oh, this is what my screen looks like. Because right now, if you looked at your Sony's or looked at my Canon's or a friend's Red or something like that, like as you went through those different cameras, each one of those screens has characteristics. Even on my Canon's, as I go from one to another, like they have different characteristics. And by pumping it into a monitor that I know and trust, um, I know like, okay, I know this is kind of the black level of my 502 and like, you know what I mean? Like I know the black should be pretty punchy on this screen versus like, if I look at like the C200, it changed my whole way of using it. So that would, that would be like my one big thing. And as far as like still photography goes, um, I, I think like 
I think it'd be the opposite where I wish, I just wish people would buy better stuff earlier. Like, I th- you know, which like, you know, I think so many people when they're getting into stills, like they just, what's the cheapest garbage I can buy? And it's like, I think like, you know, buy something, buy the better versions of everything earlier on. Cause like a little more money now will avoid you rebuying stuff that will like have no value when you sell it. So like a great example would be, Go buy the 7200, get the 2.8, whatever the best one is. Like you will use your 7200 more than any other lens you buy. Arguably that in a 24 to 70. Like go buy the best versions of those you can get and you'll be stoked. Like it'll work great. And then, you know, but like so many people just go buy like, oh, I'm going to get the more basic thing, the more basic this. And it's just yeah, like. F-force plenty. Just, yeah, exactly. And it's like, which is fine, but it's like I inevitably will tell you, you will not keep it as many years like my 7200 i literally got in college and that was eight years ago now i probably bought that lens or more actually more it's probably nine years old still use it on almost every job video or photo um has paid for itself over and over guess what inflation's a thing so that lens will cost more when you buy it later um i think i paid like 1600 dollars brand new for 7200 2.8 is and it's probably worth 1200 if i went and sold it you know right now and i know i've gotten more than 400 dollars worth out of it yeah <laughs> over the last nine years so um it's yeah you know what i mean just spend a little more money on the stuff up front but for video yeah that monitor man i feel like a dummy that i didn't i mean i didn't buy that years before like even, i won't use a camera without a good monitor on it now it's like pointless even my two small hd monitors are slightly off from one another uh color wise yeah. but the fact that i can swipe and see an rgb parade and immediately mm-hmm. tell, you know, if they're actually white balanced properly, if, you know, they're seeing the, if my two cameras are seeing the same thing, that to me yeah. is just like, you can't do that if you just have cameras, like you, there's no yeah. way to, because a lot of these things won't do an RGB parade. They won't do false color um, built yeah. in. So yeah, having that little piece is a little peace of mind as well. Um, hold on one second. Hey, I'm like two seconds from being done, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was like the biggest thing that I, um, that was just like the game changer for me. Well, sweet. Well, dude, thanks for chatting. We went, yeah, we went a little long here, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, no, but yeah, dude, thanks for taking the time. And, uh, if, if in the future you want to talk about what happens when other people touch our footage and our photos, uh, I'd I'd love to explore that with you. Yeah, I um, I'll, I'll shamelessly plug my own stuff. Yeah, um, where can we find as you? As my dog whines for me to take him for a walk. Um, it is uh, on YouTube. You can find me at just Brett Carlson, B R E T T C A R L S E N, uh, and you can search that same name on Instagram. I'm currently Brett in real life, but I'm thinking about changing my username. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, but yeah, Brett Carlson, and you can find me on my website, brettcarlson.com, um, where you can check out my work. And uh, I run a little bit of a blog on there where I share some more recent work and sometimes try to like write a little bit more in depth on some of the reviews and stuff I do. Um, been a little busy, so I haven't been keeping up with it, but, um, it's on my things to do this month. So hopefully it'll be a little more up to date whenever anybody actually listens to this. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty good about keeping those up to date. So, uh, they can check me out in there and I'm pretty responsive about answering questions. So yeah, that is yeah. one of my other questions that we didn't get to is, do you find yourself taking the time to answer if anyone reaches out 
because I think people oh. are often afraid, especially younger people, to reach out and ask questions to people they follow on Instagram. Yeah. It's like we oh, can we can talk question. about it. we got we got time. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about it in another episode. But yeah, the short answer is yeah. Feel free to reach out, and I think uh, most anyone will respond to you, especially if it's you know worded in proper English and uh, you know somewhat competent is what you're asking. Yeah, a lot of people don't follow that yeah, base don't be a bot <laughs> yeah don't be a robot well thanks dude right, thanks man. thanks listener for listening and uh yeah that's all see you later cool that that's how abruptly you... my podcast ends that's fine